Welcome to Shift Impact Builds, a new podcast from the Bronx Academic Response Team. In this podcast, we explore how we're using improvement science to shift mindsets, impact student outcomes, and build equitable systems in education. Today's episode of Shift Impact Build focuses on how the Bronx art team uses improvement science to address challenges of remote learning in the Bronx and specifically how we impact student outcomes. As a reminder, we are recording today's episode at home as a result of the pandemic. Please excuse any background noise or unexpected interruptions. Hi everyone, I'm Rachel. I'm one of the art specialists on the Bronx art team. When New York's governor, Andrew Cuomo, made the decision to close schools all across New York, we, the Bronx art team, were a few weeks into our cycle of supporting schools. We were using improvement science to get to the root causes of problems facing our schools' communities, and then we had to make a sudden transition to remote learning. Given the newness of remote learning, new learning settings, new learning platforms, new learning needs of students, teachers, and leaders, we realized our work and how we supported schools might need to change. Recently, we were fortunate to have an opportunity to sit down with Tracy Benjamin Van Lierup, one of three art leads for New York City, to talk about how art is responding to challenges during remote learning. Thank you very much for having me. Um, I feel like remote learning, it is it has been a really like quick turnaround in terms of um, the New York City Department of Education. And we've had to respond quickly um, and that goes for everyone. And so a lot of those challenges that we have um, met, you know, they kind of persist because of how quickly things had to happen. Um, And it's kind of easy to see how hard it can be. Um, but we also want to shine the light on some of the bright spots. So how do you see schools responding to remote, remote learning? And what are some bright spots that you might want to um, share with us and our listeners? Um, some bright spots actually come out of your BCO. And so I want to thank your team, um, and specifically Chris, from day one being open. And so connecting to what you all are doing. I so appreciate it. And when I, and I highlight that experience whenever I have the opportunity to, to be a part of the, I believe it was your ILT meet, mm-hmm. one of the ILT mm-hmm. meetings. And then also another mm-hmm. was met with the teacher. Um, and my biggest takeaway from both of those experiences was the thinking outside of the box and how teachers and administrators were willing to take risks, were vulnerable, and said, you know what? As you said, Azalea, this is new. I have Mm -hmm. three days to to learn this, and I'm learning as I go. And I think that's an important message for our young people as well. So I really left that um, remote meeting feeling so inspired to hear adults say, you know what, well, I tried this um, program, but I didn't feel like my my students were interacting with it as well, or maybe it was 
I was doing asynchronous learning and now I'm doing more synchronous learning. And so there's this risk taking there um, and clearly leadership has allowed this space for that to happen. Um, thank you for sharing all of those different bright spots. Um, I think, um, Tracy, you touched on a few of the different ways that art is involved in remote learning, um, you know, specifically, you know, working with ILTs and teachers to address issues around like asynchronous and synchronous learning and taking risks. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, if there's other areas you see art being involved with remote learning or, you know, where do you hope that art goes if we are continuing remote learning in the fall? So one of the things that we've really been trying um, to push, and I heard this on one of your other um, podcasts, is, and we're seeing this now, right? Um, during our weekly DART meetings, we look at data and we see the impact of um, students not being able to go into the, into the traditional school buildings and all that is going on in this country around race. We have to address that when we go back to school. Mm -hmm. It's not, um, you know, you think about September in the old normal and you spent those two weeks. Okay, these are the, the norms, these are the rules and you had to do that in order to set systems and structures mm -hmm. in your classroom and your school as the leader and then you, you started transitioning into the academics, right? We have to address, and this is one of the things that we're really pushing, trauma-informed education. Yeah, I, I think I've been thinking a lot about what, um, what the academic response team will look like in September. Um, what our, and, and seeing a lot about the, the fact that we can't go back to normal because normal wasn't working, right? So as we, that, start, to see, yes. um, as we start to see how people are responding, not just, or like how the world and, and our city in, in a bubble has responded to COVID, um, how it has impacted our children, um, and then we have um, most recent climate um, changes and, and disruptions there um, and all those things absolutely have to be addressed and unfortunately you know they're, they're being worked through at the same time right and by everybody it's not like it's just happening right. um, to just this one this is, this is everybody's issue like COVID is everybody's issue um, the social issues we're facing also everybody's issue um, so I feel like it, it kind of lends itself to the strategies that art is using to mm -hmm. do that. Um, and so, you know, for us in the Bronx, improvement space is our way. It's like, okay, we have our equity pause and, and we, we believe in improvement science. We believe in the work of identifying that root cause. Um, and so how do you see improvement science as really becoming part of the core of Citywide academic response. So the PDSA, right? And that is something that I so strongly believe in, having seen the other side of that, where it's like, okay, we're going to do this for a year. And all right, 
did it stick? Did it work? Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not, as opposed to these six to eight week cycles where we're able to say, okay, this is the, and, and I'm sort of jumping ahead, but going back to all of the steps that need to happen, right? So root cause, going into some of the other processes I've seen across the BCOs, shadowing a student. For me, that that is probably one of the most powerful um, parts of this work and shadowing a student, not in the sense of I'm just observing Adelia. I'm in Adelia's shoes. So I am going mm-hmm. through the day as Adelia and I'm experiencing learning as Adelia. And those things are connected to data. And so what I have found, the quantitative piece. Mm-hmm. So that student shadow piece offers a qualitative piece because you know we can do lots of things with numbers, but when you bring those two together, it helps to tell the story. Mm-hmm. And it and questions start to come out of that. And then from there, it's like, okay, well, I think this could potentially be the issue. We're going to develop a plan with you. And that's the, one of the pieces that I really appreciate about improvement science. It's not to you. It's We're doing this together. We have a plan in place. We're going to monitor that plan. And we're not going to wait till the eight weeks is up, right? We're going to monitor that plan along the way, the mid-cycle check-ins that we have. What do we need to tweak? Oh, we're ahead. We're, we're further along than we thought we might be. Maybe we need to accelerate a little bit. And then at the end of those eight weeks, we sit down as opposed to waiting until May or June mm-hmm. and saying, oh, wow, that, that didn't work. And then after the eight weeks, we have the sustainability plan where we're checking in. So it's not just that, okay, you met the benchmark or, or not, and now I'm, I'm on to the next. We're still checking in with you. And so I, I really like the reflection part of improvement science. I like the time period of improvement science because we know the urgency around this work. And I like the the partnerships with schools. And and I bring that back to the uh, remote meetings that I was a part of, and I got that from your two schools. Is there anything also that you might want the listeners to take away from just this brief conversation that we've had about COVID, equity, our team, remote learning? We've covered so many things that hasn't been that long. Um, But is there anything you want them to to just take away from this time? This is what I would say, and I think the Bronx does a really good job of doing this. Um, At the end of the day, I am my brother's keeper. At the end of the day, I am my sister's keeper. We know that improvement science is new to a lot of you, and many of you may be wondering how improvement science is really being used to address challenges in remote learning. We are pleased to share our interview with a principal we supported when they made this transition. This principal leads a large elementary school in District 11, 
which serves over 800 students in grades K to five. So just prior to the pandemic, um, our team, the art team, uh, and with your school, we were at the point in the PDSA cycle in which we all, you know, you all had identified a change idea, right? In your school, right. it was local, it was immediate, something that you all needed to work on. Um, right. With the team, uh, we planned with the, with, with the school and the team, and we were about to start the do phase in which the teachers were implementing the change idea, and then we were going to go and collect data, right? But then March 16th, everything changed, and we yep. had to switch, literally, you know, everybody left school Friday thinking they might come back Monday, but then Sunday we were told we weren't going to, um, and we had to switch. So um, how did that experience of this immediate change to remote learning impact your school? And what immediate decisions did you have to make about remote learning in those first few weeks? We sat down as a team and we said, okay, how are we going to, how are we going to communicate this with the staff? Um, and they were able to map out, um, you know, how they were going to show teachers how to use the Google Classrooms for K-1 and 2. And then moving forward with 3, 4, and 5, how we were going to keep the children engaged um, and, and how we were going to present that um, in terms of um, our, our slides, um, assessing the students, although they have been doing that a little bit, but further, like, deepen that work. Um, and so... We all had, um, we had differentiated PD for the staff. We started to um, go into classrooms and into virtual classrooms the following week and just kind of seeing what the teachers were using, um, taking down notes. And then as an admin team, um, including the instructional coaches, talking about what we were seeing. Mm. Um, and then... Even a little step further, we spoke to the parents. We sent out a parent survey to find out, like, what's going on? Like, how do you feel about the the instruction that's happening um, through live? Um, how about the assignments? Are they taking longer? Are they realistic? Like, mm -hmm. you know, so we wanted to get some um, sense from the parents as well. And so we gathered that information, and then we shared it with the staff. Um, at the beginning, live instruction was a little, um, shaky for us. Um, and so teachers started to go on more, um, uh, but then the spring break came and then we went back a little bit mm -hmm. and they pulled back a little bit and then we had to do more work around how to get back on live. Um, and so, because we were really concerned about the small group instruction and, um, the rigor uh, and, and meeting the kids at their levels. So we had a lot of concerns around that based on the inter in the intervisitations that we have done, our learning walks, our observations. Mm -hmm. We were realizing that it's lacking in that grade, which is a crucial grade because then they're going into third grade. Mm -hmm. And third grade is a testing grade and getting them up to that reading level that they need to be. And we had, you know, our data shows that second grade to third grade is a huge gap. Huge gap. And so... Um, we wanted to really hone in on small group instruction and what those activities would look like, how do you meet the child at their level, and what types of tasks you're giving them, right, to assess them and check in and monitor their growth. And so then we realized that second grade, based on 
our virtual intervisitations and our conversations and um, looking at the, the surveys, we saw that second grade was still struggling. Mm -hmm. That's when we decided that we needed to show them how to present their um, their their instruction and and their PowerPoint slides. And so we and we realized that it was it wasn't engaging to students. And so that's when we said, I think we have to figure out a way to get the kids on that's going to be interactive for them and that they're going to want to come on. Um, and then how they're going to present that to them. And we have ELDS as well. So we also wanted to keep that um, open because we want to be equitable. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's when we decided that we were going to change our whole small group to how do we engage children mm -hmm. <laughs> and get more interaction um, on live instruction. And how did, how did Improvement Science help you get to that place to realize that 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 was the new change idea, right? Um, you identified mm -hmm. the remote, the challenges of remote learning, right? Attendance, engagement, participation, especially with that second grade group, right? They're they're little, but they're not as little as the kindergartners, but they're not as big as the third and fourth graders, right? And so, how did it, the process of improvement science help you and your team get to that point to identify? Okay, we want to work on the engagement and attendance piece for the second grade. So um, we have our PLCs as normal, like it, like we never, we never abandon our protocols um, and our and our structures that we have in the school building. So um, during PLC, the teachers had expressed that they were having difficulty um, either having the children complete the tasks or um, not knowing if they were like checking in, not knowing if the students were able to understand what they had just modeled for them on live. Um, or sometimes they would fill out maybe the Google form, but it wasn't completed correctly, or they would make a copy and then it was empty and sent that to the teacher. So there was a, a, several factors that the teachers had mentioned that was um, preventing them from getting more interaction with the students. Um, and so, during the PLC, uh, we spoke and we we did our change um, idea during the PLCs mm -hmm. and what and, and the and the data that we were gathering. But I'm talking about the team as well. It's not coming from admin. It was the teachers saying, "This is what we're seeing, um, and we need help." What it sounds like to me is like you guys went through multiple PDSA cycles, just even with like with March 16th happening, you guys came up with like, okay, a, a change idea, we have to differentiate the teachers, and then you collected data on that, and then you studied it, and then you decided, okay, we need to address um, what we analyzed, and then you kind of adapted it once um, like the Easter break came. So that was kind of like one PDSA cycle within yourself, within your own school. Then we came with the... Um, with the small group instruction and then the engagement piece. But now that the school year is mm -hmm. wrapping up and we're like, this is usually the time that we're thinking about September and we're, with, we're not sure what's gonna happen in September. There's a possibility we stay remote, possibilities hybrids, A days, B days, we don't know, or we go back to school. So how are you guys thinking about using improvement science to right. develop a plan for what the uncertainty of September? What 
So the improvement science was something that it was going to be a long-term decision in terms of being in the building. Um, from my perspective as the leader of the building, because again, that was going to, that was my goal. That was my vision to have improvement science, um, developed school-wide in the building. Um, but I think that, um, just having them, um, go through this process, um, has helped spread the word, if we want to say that, um, spread the word to the other grades. And so um, we are going to do this as a system-wide, a school-wide um, protocol um, when we start planning for um, our, our next school year. And so Ms. Rios um, presented to third grade um, the process that they took with the art team, with the improvement science, um, and how they came up with their change idea, um, whether it was their problem of practice and then ultimately have to do a change idea if they needed to. Um, and she did a wonderful job. She was very articulate. She understood the process. Um, and it was coming from a teacher. It was not coming from admin. And that's where I want to build capacity. I want to be able to build capacity um, in the building so that those teachers can be support systems for other teachers who are going to be in that process as well. Um, because we all have to work together and that's going to be, it's going to ultimately our goal um, to be able to do that in our PLCs, using data, understanding data, analyzing the data and saying we need to go through this process in order to figure out what's going to be more effective for us and for our kids. What advice do you have for school leaders and teachers about getting started using improvement science? Hmm. Um, well, I think that the, um, the leaders have to, and I say leaders meaning the principals and the assistant principals have to be knowledgeable in this process. If leaders really want to do this and, 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 make it effective in their buildings and see the positive outcomes. Um, they need to be, they need to be knowledgeable in the process and they need to go through the process themselves. Um, I think that has helped me tremendously because I know the process. I went through the process myself. Um, and so I knew the purpose and where the art team was going. Um, and so I believe, and I also believe mm -hmm. in it, right? So you also have to believe in the process. Um, so that's another thing that, and you have to be vulnerable, right? Because you might find things that you didn't know, yeah. right? And then um, it comes to light based on what the art team might see. And so you have to be open to that feedback as well and where we're going to move mm -hmm. forward. I, that's what I would give as a advice um, to leaders in the building. So I support a high school in the Bronx and prior to transitioning to remote learning due to COVID-19, they had identified the problem of practice for their school as being students are provided with limited opportunities for ownership of their learning. 
This problem was identified by the instructional leadership team in collaboration with the academic response team. And we were in the process of completing the driver diagram where we would have identified a change idea um, and then we had to stop and transition to remote learning. So we were able to come back together and the um, instructional leadership team wanted to account for the transition to remote learning and adjust their theory of action, which we had started prior to remote learning, to um, really meet the needs of the students in this remote learning setting. So they decided that they wanted to use differentiation to provide opportunities for student ownership of their learning. And in order to do this, they wanted to focus on teachers having best practices for differentiation by beginning to use a technology toolkit. And they believed that the best way to do this was to use Flipgrid to provide students with opportunities for choice, collaboration, and ownership of their learning, which is aligned to standards C3 of the National Standards for Quality Online Instruction. And from there, they dived into um, collecting data around using Flipgrid across the content areas. So the teachers from the instructional leadership team all created an assignment for Flipgrid um, and they completed two cycles of collecting data around that change idea. And what you are about to hear is the teachers talking about what questions they have when they compare cycle two to cycle one data. All right, so at this part, um, I think we can put in some of the things that we we learned, maybe questions we have, wonderings we have about cycle one compared to, to cycle two. Um, I guess we'll kind of reiterating what I said before, I think consistency helps uh, when everyone is doing the same thing and kids are getting the message that we're all going to be doing Flipgrid. I feel like they're much more inclined to do it um, than if it's just a one-off assignment. I also wonder if the day that it's assigned has something to do with it, just because of my scheduling and what I needed to accomplish um, for my classes. Um, I can do one of the grids on a Friday as opposed to a Monday. And so if it's Monday, I'm not looking at it until the end of the week. So we're able to have more time to complete it. Whereas last week I gave it on, I pulled those results yesterday. Um, so maybe it might increase this because maybe students didn't have as much time to do it, um, but not sure. Well, the the, the oh. first week we did this, I did it on, I, I gave it to the students on Monday and I had it due on Friday. And this week I gave it to them on Tuesday and had it due on Tuesday and the number doubled. Also wondering for mine, um, I assigned it, you know, while uh, the 10th graders were in the midst of, you know, working on outlining and preparing to write um, an enduring issues essay so I wonder if they just saw this assignment as something that wasn't you know just kind of on the periphery and not as important as focusing in on the things they needed to do to write that um, enduring issues essay. Well I was gonna say maybe just thinking how um, I know that the one of the reasons why we started using Flipgrid was to increase engagement and collaboration and so I still feel like that piece is missing with students. Students are posting the videos but they're not actually responding to each other or collaborating with each other in, in those responses and so how do we change that? Maybe we're, maybe we change the task 
um, that we're asking students. Um, even though I know if I ask a student to respond to another peer, usually they don't. <laughs> usually they just give me um, their own response. And so just trying to think how can we use Flipgrid to create a more collaborative learning experience for students. If you give an assignment on Flipgrid, but you give one grade for doing something on Flipgrid and then you say, please also respond to a peer, they may be less inclined to do it than if you counted it as a two-part assignment. So you get a grade for posting your video and then you get a grade for providing feedback to someone else. Um, so maybe that might be something you know we could consider. Um, I mean, I don't know if we're going to do another cycle with the amount of time we have left, but um, I mean, if this is something we're going to pursue later, it might be a good idea. Or maybe they, they reply to a student's comment that's not one of their peers to give them like practice in replying to each other. I do agree too. I was going to say, and I put in the chat there while you're talking, I agree with the idea that maybe there needs to be a grade for each part um, because that, you know, I've seen that kids are motivated by that kind of that great you know that's that's where some of the motivation externally comes from so as i have worked with the high school in the bronx i have seen the instructional leadership team ask questions to better understand why a particular problem of practice exists in their school community and that mindset is going to impact student outcomes long after remote learning has ended and we have transitioned back to face-to-face -face instruction We want to wrap things up today by talking to Courtney Smith from the Continuous Learning Team. We know that the Continuous Learning Team works to build the capacity of adults across the system to identify problems, iterate on new approaches, measure impact, and develop sustainable improvement. Can you give us an overview of what that work looks like day to day? Yeah, absolutely. So um, first of all, again, thank you so much for letting me join you all. I'm so excited for our uh, our partnership that's developing and blossoming right now. Um, so I'm excited for us to have this conversation today. Um, so in the continuous learning team, so we are, as you mentioned, Chris, we are a central team with the DOE and we support a network. Um, we currently for the past three years have been supporting a network improvement community of 17 schools who come together using improvement science practices um, to tackle a shared challenge. And that group has been coming together for the shared challenge of strengthening supports for their multilingual learner students. Um, and so that's sort of who we are as a network, but at the team level, um, it means that our team um, does very similar to what you all um, are doing in the, in the art world, um, that we provide job embedded coaching to teacher leaders, um, helping them build their capacity to engage in continuous improvement and test those small changes. Um, we help them also think about analyzing their student data through an equity lens um, and identifying disproportionalities. Um, and then we're also working with those teacher leaders to help them develop their leadership um, as they show up as change agents in their classrooms. We're now in the process um, of partnering together to support a group of middle schools in the Bronx, um, specifically districts nine and 10, um, to come together around supporting their multilingual learner students who are black and Latinx and also facing economic hardship. I have to imagine that some of the work that you have been doing has, has had to shift or change as a result of COVID-19 and the remote learning. Um, and I know that the continuous learning team put out some guidance around remote learning, but can you share with us a little bit about the challenges that you're facing either with your team or specifically with the schools you're supporting? Sure. So we, um, the continuous learning team is not an anomaly. We are experiencing the challenges that we've you know, all been facing across our system. 
Um, and I would say for us, I think sort of as we were getting our feet underneath us with remote learning, as I know all of us were, you know, right, like figuring out like what's the password that works for Zoom and why does my Google Meet screen mm -hmm. look like this? Like all of those little pieces. Um, our team came together to think about how we were redesigning our supports for the schools that we work with. Um, and we realized in that moment that we knew sort of in the big picture what challenges looked like, but we didn't know, like we didn't know the nitty gritty of what those like specific small challenges were. Um, and so we really came together and thinking about as a team that really, you know, prizes continuous improvement work, we realized that sort of like those tiny details and those challenges were the real opportunities for us to help find opportunities for change and improvement. Um, so we, uh, like the continuous improvement nerds that we are, um, we set out and did a listening uh, session uh, process with all of our school teams, which then we eventually pulled together into a fishbone diagram of what the challenges and what the causes were for the challenges our schools were facing. And we found the big, sort of the big buckets or the big, the big bones, if you're if you can picture the fishbone diagram with me, um, were um, engaging students at large. So thinking about just how to get kids engaging with content, engaging with one another, um, specifically around engaging multilingual learner students, since that's the focus of our community, and knowing that those students were facing, you know, a totally additional challenge and hurdle. Um, and then the other big challenges we found our, our schools were facing were communicating with families. So either getting in touch, staying in touch, keeping track of what of what uh, home supports look like um, and making sure that their needs were met. Um, and then also another big piece was supporting tech with students and families. We heard a lot of our teachers saying, right, like I'm trying to build my own capacity for tech in this new world, but also I'm, I am making sure my students are getting the tech that they need from the DOE. I'm also acting as like a genius bar representative on the phone with someone. Mm -hmm. and Right, like helping kids set up a set up an infrastructure on a screen that they weren't looking at and just taking on like an extra role. Um, and then I think a final challenge that we heard from a lot of our schools uh, was finding ways to bring existing or familiar instructional strategies and scaffolds to work in this new world. How do you see schools responding to remote learning? What are some bright spots that you might be able to highlight for us? Yeah, I think that's, that's an amazing question. Um, I think when I think of bright spots that one, right, like I think right now schools and everyone who brings them to life, if it's school leaders or teachers or staff, like everyone in those buildings, people are showing up as the like, just amazingly creative and dedicated rock stars that they are right now and really like as real problem solvers. And so I think to me, that's been one of the biggest bright spots is hearing just all of the amazing ways that teachers are making small changes and differentiating supports for their students. Like if it's finding the time that they can have that one-on-one -on -one call with a student and their mom at 8 p.m. because that's the time that works or sending something in a chat feature when they know that there's a student who isn't going to use the microphone for like just all of those small tweaks. Um, and I think it's also just been really amazing for me because I feel like when I just I deal with with the bright spots. Like I feel like every time I've had a chance to, you know, work with and talk to any of my colleagues who are school based and largely teachers, like I feel like everyone, right? Everyone's exhausted. Everyone is frustrated. And then every one of those conversations, there's always this moment where someone says, like, "Oh, well, I did this one small thing. 
like dot 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 and it's always this like amazing thing right? it's like a google classroom hack or like finding a way to have that one-on-one -on -one or connecting a family with a resource um and so that to me i think has been like the biggest bright spot is hearing when folks say like oh i only did this one thing and it's something that really makes an impact for like one student and one experience I was just thinking as you were talking about how what you said earlier, Courtney, about that, you know, tiny details are opportunities for continuous improvement. And that, you know, those small changes like that you just shared, like really impact that it could be one student and it might mean their whole day is completely transformed because they now had access to the learning and that trickles over to like impacting their like their family's day. Um, and so with that, um, what would you say to Governor Cuomo and the panel that he put together for reimagining education on what they should keep in mind that is specific to New York City when it comes to creating a policy that will impact the schools in our community? Oof, that's a big question, <laughs> but, it's a, but it's an awesome one. Um, I, I think what I hope that they keep in mind um, specifically I mean, at large but definitely as you said sort of specific to New York City is that they really take this as an opportunity to truly reimagine our system like at the systems level and not just work to get us back to like normal as mm -hmm. quickly as possible sorry I'm, I'm I realize we're on recording I'm air quoting <laughs> <laughs> I talk with my hands like my mom so sorry if you can picture this <laughs> You know, like there's, I think there's going to be, or there already have been, but like a lot of calls for us to get back to normal, to get back to square one and do that super quickly. And I think those are going to come, right? Like those are going to come largely from communities that have been traditionally well served by the status mm -hmm. quo. Um, and my hope is yeah. that the governor and the panel, you know, take this moment to truly redesign the system and to think about how we can better serve our historically underserved students. You know, which we know are largely our students of color and students who face economic hardships. Like I think of how right, like continuous improvement always asks us to come back to that question of like, what's the real problem you're trying to solve, not just what's the symptom. And I think right now, like, if if the question we ask is like, how do we get back to what was like, if our problem we're trying to solve is like, how do we get back to normal? Then we're just going to recreate a system that frees inequities for our students, but. I think if we do take this as a city and then also as a state and you know, as a nation, like how do we take this as a chance to think of the problem we're trying to solve as like, how do we best serve our students and specifically our historically underserved students? Mm -hmm. Then I think we're gonna have an important opportunity to align our system with what our values actually are. Um, what is something that you want the listeners to really just away from our conversation with you today? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think one I would say is that, right, that piece of teachers are utter rock stars who are the most creative professionals in the world, hands down. Um, mm -hmm. But I also think, I think to me, it comes back to the idea of like the power of small changes within a mm -hmm. effort. Like, I think right now we're all grappling so much with, like, how we can make real and lasting systemic change. Um, and I think that continuous improvement, even though it's grounded in making small changes, is a really powerful tool. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, like, 
find our place and find our power in that big change. Um, like I, I can say I've, I've had the honor to be a part of some learning opportunities recently with the National Equity Project. Um, so shout out to NEP and to Joyce and to <laughs> leading some great conversations. Um, but they've always started our session with like, what's your equity imperative? And then what's the part of that that's within your locus of control? Mm -hmm. And I think that continuous improvement like helps us connect those pieces of like, what's the big change we want to be a part of in our world? And then what's the one change or one thing that you can do for, you know, within your own community with one student with one touch point? And like, what's, what's your action there? And then how, how can you take that to be a part of a broader, you know, a broader change? And so that, that sort of, I think that piece of like the power of small changes, I think is what I, what I hope folks would um, take from our conversation. All right. Um, a big thank you to all of our guests that joined us today. We hope that um, you guys out there learned more about what we do as a Bronx Art team, um, as well as how improvement science is applicable in this time of remote learning. If you want to learn more about the topics we mentioned today or have a question about what was shared, send us a voice message on Anchor, connect with us on Twitter at BX underscore A-R-T-E-A-M, visit our website at <clears throat> sites.google.com backslash strongschools.nyc backslash Bronx A-R-T. Please like our podcast and leave us a review. Make sure to subscribe to Shift Impact Build so you get all of our new episodes.